thankful that we have Brother Philip Johnson here with us. I've uh, fortunately been able to hear him a few times preach, and he's a wonderful preacher, and so it's uh, great to have him all the way from Norman, Oklahoma. He is the preaching minister at the West Side Church of Christ, and he is married to Shannon, and they have one daughter, Jalen. Philip received his bachelor's from the University of Oklahoma in science education, and he also received a master's in education from Oklahoma State University in curriculum and instruction. Before entering the ministry full-time, Philip worked as a teacher and administrator in Oklahoma public schools, and he has written several Bible study books, including the I Grow devotional book. His, he, he directs a church camp at Petty John Springs Christian Camp and works extensively in the development of young preachers. The wonderful guy and Brother Johnson, we're thankful to have you here with us. Good evening. Great to be with you tonight. I always appreciate the opportunity to join with you in worship. I hope your summer series has, has gone well. It certainly is a great theme. I appreciate the ministers here so much, the work that they do. This congregation, you're known well up in Oklahoma. I just had lunch yesterday with Les McGalliard. I know he served down here faithfully for many, many years, and he wanted me to just say hello to everybody. So hello from Les. He certainly misses you guys and appreciates this church family greatly. In John chapter 19, Jesus' last words are recorded for us. Jesus simply said, it is finished. And we look at that word finished and maybe we think that everything is over, that everything that Jesus worked for, his ministry, what he had plans for, for his life and for the lives of other people, that it was over. But really when Jesus said, it is finished, it actually marked a beginning. It marked everything for us. And the one word that I connect with that phrase, it is finished, is the word hope. Because Jesus did what he did, we have hope. In the final scene of the movie Shawshank Redemption, Red, the character that was played by Morgan Freeman, he's taking one last journey to meet his friend Andy in Mexico. And as he traveled on the bus, toward that final destination, his thoughts were spoken for us. This is what he was thinking in his head. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. What do you hope for in life? What do you hope for in the life to come? What do you hope for on the day of judgment? If you think about that moment when you're standing before Jesus, when we're face to face with our judge, when we're standing there beside the one who said, it is finished there on the cross. What are you hoping for? Where have you placed your hope? In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, Paul reminds the church at Ephesus that they have, one, that they have hope, that there is one hope, and that one hope is in Jesus Christ. That one hope is found in the one who spoke those words in John chapter 19, it is finished. And those words mark the beginning of everything for us. 
Sometimes it's hard, it's challenging to look at our individual situations and see any hope. Sometimes when we examine our lives, all we see is heartache and trouble, difficulty and loss. We see everything but hope. It's challenging to look at the world that we live in and see any hope. I don't know about you, but I listen to the news each night. I DVR sometimes it's 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night when I'm listening to the world news. And the majority of the stories aren't good. And you listen to what's going on in the world. You listen to what's going on in our country. And sometimes at the end of those broadcasts, after you've listened to the world news, it's difficult to be hopeful. We look at the world around us. We look at our countries. We look at our cities. And sometimes all we see is turmoil and tension. We certainly don't see hope. The discovery of our age is that chaos is the normal order of things. We live in a chaotic world. We're surrounded by chaos. How can we find hope in the midst of this chaos? How can we find hope in this world that we live in? Well, our Father, He wants us to know that we have hope. I want you to listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 4. There is one body, he writes, and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Our Father, he wants us to know as his creation, he wants us to know as his children that there's hope, that we have hope in this life, that we have hope beyond this life. And it's only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's only possible because Jesus finished his ministry. And in John 19, when Jesus said, it is finished, those words mean so much to us. It's because of what Jesus did and because of those words that he said that we can find hope. So no matter what struggle you're facing, and I know everybody in here in this room tonight, we have struggles. No matter what struggle you are facing individually, you have hope. No matter how overwhelmed you may feel, you have hope. This is an overwhelming time of year as school is about to get started. It starts next week in Oklahoma. And as I'm talking to families back at Westside and Norman, there's just so much anxiety. Just that feeling of being overwhelmed. So many things to get done. So many things to get in place. Life can be overwhelming. No matter how overwhelmed you may feel right now, God wants you to know that you have hope. Anybody in here anxious? Anybody struggling with worries? No matter how anxious you may feel, you have hope. Where do we find this hope? Where can we find hope that can elevate our minds above the anxiety, that can elevate us above all of the obstacles that we face day in and day out, all of the pressure, all of the struggles, all of the deadlines. Where can we find this kind of hope? Turn to Matthew chapter 17. I want us to enter a story involving Jesus. 
Jesus is taking a journey, and he takes three of his apostles with him here in Matthew chapter 17. He takes Peter, James, and John, and he leads them up on a high mountain. So Jesus takes these three. They're going up on this high mountain, these three apostles with Jesus. And then in verse 2, we read that he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Now try to imagine what Peter, James, and John were thinking at this moment. What was going through their minds as they witnessed Jesus being transfigured right in front of them? They've taken this journey with Jesus, they've gone up on this high mountain, and now Jesus is transfigured right in front of them. Try to imagine what Jesus' appearance looked like. And then we get to verse 3. And to top everything off, now all of a sudden, who appears? Moses and Elijah. So these three men, they witnessed Jesus transfigured right in front of them. His appearance so bright, it became as white as light. And now Moses and Elijah appear right here with Jesus. Peter, he was never at a loss for words. So it shouldn't shock us that he's the first one to speak. And so in verse 4, Peter, he says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Peter got one right. We can put a check mark in Peter's column. He got that right. It was good for them to be there. It was good for them to witness Jesus transfigured. It's always good to be in the presence of Jesus. And then Peter continues on. If you wish, Jesus, I've got a plan. This is what we're going to do. If you wish, if you want, we'll make three tabernacles here. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. And Peter just keeps talking. But then we get to verse 5. While Peter is still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud spoke some words. It's time for God the Father to do some instructing. He interrupts Peter. He basically says, Peter, shh. It's time for you to be quiet. It's time for you to listen. Because I have a lesson that you've got to learn. And then he proceeds to say, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God elevates his son above Moses, above Elijah. He uses this as an opportunity to support his son in his ministry. He also uses this moment to teach these three men, these three apostles, that Jesus is superior to any other human being who's ever lived. Now Moses and Elijah, they were great men of the Old Testament, great prophets. The Jews revered these men, these three apostles, Peter, James, and John. They revered Moses and Elijah. That's why Peter said, let's make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And that's when God the Father, he interrupts and he says, you need to listen to my son. He's the one that you need to, need to devote your life to. Why is Jesus elevated above Moses and Elijah? 
Why is he elevated above them here in Matthew chapter 17? Why over in Hebrews is Jesus presented to us as greater than the angels, greater once again than Moses? Well, there are some things that only Jesus can provide. There are some things that you're only going to find in Jesus Christ. Now, I could describe society in a lot of different ways. I believe one phrase that describes our society is they're searching. I believe people are searching. A lot of times they're not sure what they're searching for. They don't know where to go to find it, but people are looking for something. And we turn to money, trying to find fulfillment. We turn to educational attainment. We turn to hobbies. We turn to vices. In Psalm chapter 23, the psalmist proclaims, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's a lot of people in this world wanting because they haven't found the shepherd. They haven't found the Lord. And until we find a relationship with Jesus, we'll we'll always be wanting. We'll always be lacking something in our life. There are some things only Jesus can provide. As great as Moses was, as great as Elijah was, Jesus, he is the only source of salvation. And so the Father says to Peter, James, and John, listen to my son. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 19. Listen to those words that Jesus proclaimed as he hung there on the cross, giving his life for us. Listen to these last words uttered by our Savior. It is finished. Because Jesus gave his life, we now have hope. And in this world that's full of anxiety, in this world that's full of so many challenges, so many struggles, we can always find hope. If we turn to Jesus, in the 1980s, there was a country song titled, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. The reason I know that song is because I grew up on a farm, and I used to plow for my dad, and I'd just plow in a circle, plowing the wheat fields, getting them ready to plant the wheat. And we had a radio in our tractor, but the knob to turn the radio dial was broken, and I think my dad did that on purpose. He didn't want to listen to my rock music. So it was either listen to country music or listen to nothing. And so I can't tell you how many times I heard this song by Johnny Lee, looking for love in all the wrong places. I still hate that song. But I think it describes many people's experience with hope. We're looking for hope in all the wrong places. We think to ourselves, if we can just get enough money, then I can be hopeful. If I can just have my health, then I'll have all the hope I need. If I can just get more education, then I can be a hopeful person. Have you ever noticed that throughout the Bible, God is continually pointing us to His Son? He does it in Matthew chapter 17. 
It's as if God is out there on the airport, out there on the tarmac, bringing in the airplane with those huge flashing arrows, directing it straight in for a safe landing. That's what God is doing for us. God is out in front of us with these huge flashing arrows in His Word, directing us straight to His Son. We see that huge flashing arrow in Matthew chapter 17 where God tells us, listen to my son. We see it again in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 where we are encouraged and challenged to fix our eyes on Jesus. Our father directing our attention straight to his son. God does that for a reason. And if we will tune our ears into what Jesus has to say, we'll find hope. If we will fix our eyes on our Savior, no matter what we're going through in life, we'll find hope. Here are some questions to think about. How has your age affected your understanding of hope? As you've gotten older, do you think about hope differently? I know as I've gotten older, I think about the Judgment Day a lot more often. I think about the next life. I understand that my body is winding down. At 44, I can't do the things I used to be able to do at 22. Being in a college town, hanging out with college students, they remind me of that every day. Our bodies are only going to last so long here. Why do we try so hard to stay here? If heaven is as good as we know it is, if being in the presence of God is going to be as, as unbelievable as we know it is, why do we try so hard at times to stay here? I long to be with God. I long to be in heaven. How has your age affected your understanding of hope? How have your life circumstances affected your hope? As we get older, we face more experiences. We go through many different things, trials, illnesses, death. How have those circumstances affected your understanding of hope? What about this question? How do we grow in hope? I'm convinced we need a different perspective on things. There was a fall Saturday back in 1982 when the University of Wisconsin was playing at home against Michigan State. Now, if you're a college football fan, you know that these are Big Ten rivals. The Wisconsin Badgers versus the Michigan State Spartans. Wisconsin was playing at home in front of their home fans. Well, Wisconsin, they got blown out in this game. And something strange started happening, happening as the game went on. During the game, the Wisconsin fans, they would cheer at strange, inappropriate times. Michigan State would score a touchdown, and the Wisconsin fans would cheer. Wisconsin would throw an interception or fumble, and their own fans would cheer. This would be like going to the Cotton Bowl in October, and Texas fans cheering when OU scores a touchdown. If you see that, you know something's not right. Something is wrong. Well, while that game was being played, the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. 
And the Wisconsin fans, they were listening to the radio call of that game. And the Milwaukee Brewers would do something good at the same time that Wisconsin would do something bad. And the fans, they would go nuts. They would cheer because the Brewers were doing well in the World Series against the Cardinals. These fans, they were at the game. Physically, they were there. They had bought a ticket. They were sitting there in the stadium. But their minds were focused somewhere else. Nobody has to remind us that we're alive right here. That we live in this world. We know that. We live here physically. But our mind, our thoughts... They need to be somewhere else. How often do you think about heaven? How often do you think about those last words Jesus spoke on the cross and what they mean for us? How many times have you reflected on that statement from Jesus where he said, it is finished, knowing that it was the beginning of everything for us, the beginning of hope, the beginning of the opportunity to be in heaven someday. Sure, we live here physically, but our mind, our thoughts, they're up above. We think about Jesus. We think about God. We think about heaven. There are some things that we're not going to find in this world. No matter how hard we try, no matter how long we look, there's just some things we're not going to find. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes about this to the church at Philippi. Beginning in verse 20, he writes, For our citizenship is in heaven. Now, it's great to be a citizen of America. There's a lot of blessings that are attached to that citizenship. Back in this time, as Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, this was a Roman colony. These were Roman citizens. They knew the blessing that citizenship brought, the privileges that Roman citizenship brought. But Paul takes it to a higher level. No matter how great it is to be a citizen of Rome back at this time, he reminds these Christians, our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Even in our toughest days, even in our difficult moments, we have hope. And it's because of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul continually does in his letters. Paul is always taking Jesus He's taking the Messiah, he's taking the person, Jesus, and putting him right in front of these churches. The church at Philippi, here's Jesus. He's who you need to serve. He's who you need to live for. The church at Colossae, here is Jesus. The church at Ephesus, here is Jesus. Because Paul understood. There's some things we're only going to find in Jesus, he is our hope. And so we eagerly wait for him, don't we? 
back in the first century, I picture Christians anticipating the coming of the Lord every day. If you read through Paul's letters to the church at Thessalonica, that becomes evident. They were eager. They were anticipating the coming of the Lord. They wanted to know what's taking so long. When's he coming back? Surely it will be today. And I picture these Christians day by day just waiting, just anticipating. Today's going to be the day. Today's going to be the day that the Lord comes back. Today's going to be the day when we get this unbelievable gift. Today's the day that we get to go and be with the Lord. And then that day would pass. And the sun would come up the next morning. And I see them thinking, today's the day. Today's going to be the day. When did you last have that thought? That today might be the day. Today possibly could be the day when our hope is realized. When I'm preaching anywhere and I look across an auditorium, one of the things that I always see is I see hope. Every time I hear of a young person resisting temptation, and there's a lot of battles that our teens are facing, every time I hear of our young people resisting temptation and standing up for what is right, I see hope. Every time I see young families bringing their children to worship, bringing their children to Bible class, I see hope. When I see older Christians holding on to their faith all the way to the finish line, finishing that race that they started, I see hope. And all of that is possible because of one person. We resist temptation because of Jesus. We bring our children to Bible class. We bring our children to worship. We're here present ourselves because of Jesus. We finish the race that we've started because Jesus shows us how. It's Jesus who makes all this possible. As you read through the Bible, it becomes clear that God, He wants us to be hopeful people. And as Christians, we need to know that because it's easy to get down on things. We can even get down on the church. We can get down on each other. It's easy to grow discouraged. But our Father, He wants us to be hopeful. There's 142 verses in Scripture where hope is the theme. Psalm 31, verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Romans 5, 3 through 5 is a message of hope. Proverbs 10, 28, the hope of the righteous is gladness. Romans 15, verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. 2 Corinthians 3, 12, therefore having such a great hope. Hebrews 6, 11, another message of hope. And throughout the Bible, hope is connected to so many wonderful themes. It's connected to mercy, to salvation, to our inheritance. It's connected to glory, to praise. But there's one specific area that I want you to note. Hope is also connected to suffering. Hope is also connected to the struggles of life. And it's in this arena 
where we struggle the most to see any hope. It's in the middle of trial, in the middle of temptation, in the middle of intense suffering that we struggle to see hope. Open up your Bibles to Romans 8. I want you to read with me verses 18 through 25. And as we start this, you're going to notice that we start with suffering. But once we get to the end, once we make it to verse 25, you'll see that the dialogue shifts, that we move from suffering to hope. Start with me in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves. There's a lot of groaning talking, talked about here. Creation is groaning. We individually, we are groaning. But we're anticipating something else. We're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Six times the idea of hope is found in these verses. The theme is found in verse 18. You go back to verse 18 and it starts with this phrase. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time these present sufferings, the illnesses, the death, the loss, everything that we go through in this life that would fit into this category of suffering. We all go through these things. But notice what Paul writes. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We might compare the first part of this verse to a foggy morning. I used to live up in the Tulsa area. I lived on Lake Keystone in Manford, Oklahoma. And my first teaching job out of school was in Sand Springs. And I would drive from Manford to Sand Springs every morning. And, and to make it to Sand Springs, I would have to drive across the Keystone Dam. And there would be some mornings that the fog would be so thick that I couldn't even see an inch in front of my car's headlights. I would literally roll down my window, stick my head out like a dog, just trying to get a glimpse of what was in front of me. That's how thick the fog was. And I would get to school and I would think to myself, this is going to be here forever. There is no way this fog is going to lift. But every afternoon, when I was driving home, no matter how intense that fog was in the morning, it always lifted 
when we're going through trials, when we're facing suffering, it may just seem like a fog that's just enveloped our life, like it's this dark cloud that's just completely surrounded us, and that's all we can see. We can't see anything else. We can't see anything good. We can't see anything positive. All we see is the suffering. It's like we're in this intense fog. But I promise you, it's going to lift. It's not going to be here forever. And even if we endure suffering this entire life, what is that compared to eternity? That's what Paul wants the church at Rome to see. Because of what Jesus did, because he said those words, it is finished, and he gave his life on the cross, we have hope for all eternity. Even if we suffer every day that we live here in this life, that fog is still going to lift. And we have the opportunity to be with God forever. You know, the word hope, it actually means an earnest expectation. And that phrase, it means to stretch out the neck. And it's an image of somebody stretching out their neck as far as they can to try to get a glimpse of something better, to try to get a glimpse of something that's better than what they have right now. Maybe this picture will help us. That phrase, earnest expectation, that thought of stretching out the neck, it's what families do at the airport when they're waiting for their son or daughter to come home from Iraq. They know they're on that plane, and they're waiting there in the airport, and they want to get that first glimpse of their son or daughter as soon as they can, and so they're stretching out their neck around that corner to just get that first glimpse of their loved ones. It's what husbands do when they're waiting for their wives to come home from war. It's what wives do when they're waiting for their husbands to come back. They stretch out their neck because they have an earnest expectation. They're hopeful. I'm going to get to see my loved one. It's what Paul wrote about in Philippians 3. We eagerly wait. Can you see those families at the airport eagerly waiting for their loved one? eagerly waiting for their son or their daughter to make it back? Can you picture the father in Luke 15, eagerly waiting for his son to come home? Jesus, he is our earnest expectation of something better. I don't know about you, but there's moments where I examine my life. I take a look at what's going on in my life. And sometimes I come to this conclusion. There has to be something more. There has to be something more to this life than deadlines and stresses and check engine lights. There has to be more to life than another traffic jam to sit in. There has to be more to life than another kid's soccer game to watch. There's got to be more to life than this. And there is. There's so much more to life 
than all of that. And it's found in Jesus. He is our earnest expectation of something better. He is our hope. And so just like those families at the airport, just like that father in Luke chapter 15, we stretch out our necks trying to get that first glimpse of our Savior, trying to get that first glimpse of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who said in John 19, it is finished. Have you ever gone outside on a partly cloudy day, kind of like today, and looked up in the sky and saw all of the clouds? I know kids, they try to see what animals they look like or what image it looks like when you look up at the clouds. Have you ever looked up at the clouds and thought to yourself, one of these days my Savior is going to be riding one of these to bring me home? Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever thought to yourself, Jesus is going to hop on one of these and he's going to come back and I'm going to be able to be with him forever? Have you ever done that? Have you ever stretched your neck up to the clouds the way they did in the first century, the way the church at Thessalonica did, just thinking today's going to be the day. Today my Lord might come back. Red's final journey in the movie Shawshank Redemption, it was a journey of hope. These were his thoughts. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Have you ever had similar thoughts about heaven? Have you ever thought to yourself, I hope, it, I, hope I make it across the border? I just hope I make it in. Have you ever thought to yourself, I hope to see my Savior and shake his hand? Maybe to just have the opportunity to say, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Have you ever thought to yourself, I hope heaven is as beautiful as it has been in my dreams? If you put your hope in Jesus, all of that will be your reality. If you put your hope in Jesus, you don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder whether or not you're going to get in. If you put your hope in Jesus, you're going to be able to be with him forever. If you put your hope in Jesus, I promise you, heaven is going to be everything and more that you've ever imagined. And it's all possible because our Savior died. Because Jesus said, it is finished. Maybe tonight you need to begin your walk with him. If we can pray with you as your church family, or if you need to be baptized into Christ, don't wait. Hope is available through Jesus Christ. Come now as we stand and sing together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me 